Look at me to the book of Titus, the book of Titus chapter number one. The book of Titus chapter number one, we want to continue our uh, series here through the book of Titus, looking at the blueprint or God's blueprint for the 21st century church. And here we have in Titus, Paul is writing, uh, this is his last epistle that was written before he would pass away and he would lay down his life for the Christ that he had preached. And here in his last words to uh, Titus, beginning in verse number 10, I want to read through the end of the chapter. And beginning in verse number 10, it says, For there are many um, insubordinate, idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies, or here it says lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But uh, to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. I want to preach for just a moment this morning on the anatomy of a false convert. The anatomy of a false convert. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do come to you in prayer this morning. God, I pray, Lord, that you may help everyone here to examine their own hearts this morning to see whether they truly are born of you. God, I pray that, Lord, may every individual leave here today with the great assurance that their home and their destiny lies with you. Lord, may you begin to move in our hearts, Lord, convict those who do not know you, Lord, may you bring them to the realization, their knowledge of their need for Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Paul here is saying that there are many here who profess to know God but in works, they deny him. He says, really, they're abominable, disobedient, and they're not even qualified for every good work. Many scriptures or Bible outlines may put this for the duties and task of an elder, and that is true. Paul is dealing with the qualifications and the duties of a pastor, and that is the case here in this passage of scripture. But I believe that Paul really is, in some ways, he is laying out what it likes uh, for some characteristics that we can examine to identify those who claim to be of God but really are not. The fact remains that many people claim to be Christian, and yet they do not know the God they speak of. I've said for years that one of the hardest places to evangelize in all the world 
is right here in the Bible Belt because everybody is convinced they're saved because they went to church or because their, their father, or grandfather, or uncle was a preacher of some sort. We have mistaken religiousness for salvation and have convinced many people that they are saved when in fact they are not. And to further complicate the matters, many churches have preached a false doctrine telling people that if they will simply just say this prayer, just repeat what I'm saying and you're okay, everything's okay in heaven. But in fact, the Bible clearly teaches that salvation is brought by repentance through work of the Holy Spirit in the life of an individual. And so Paul here, he is beginning to write to Titus. He says, listen, there are some people who among you who are deceivers. They are false. They, they claim to know God, but they deny the power of him. And Paul is saying, listen, you need to be careful of false converts. This morning you may say, preacher, you're preaching a harsh sermon and you're starting this off awful mean. Are you trying to point fingers at people, and I want you to know this morning, that is not my intent, but rather I am pouring out my heart to you because I have lived the very subject that I'm speaking of. See, I grew up in a Christian home. My father was a pastor, a missionary, an evangelist. We traveled all over America, and I heard preaching um, from some of the greatest preachers of our generation on a weekly basis. And I was in church literally seven days a week, sometimes two and three times a day. I grew up literally in the shadow of the steeple. I knew the Bible as much as any individual, especially of my age. I was blessed to have that upbringing, and I had made many professions of faith. I went to Bible college and studied uh, in seminary and, and studied the Word of God. I taught Sunday school classes and, and worked bus routes and bus ministries and would even preach at times. Some churches had me preach as a young man. And I knew all about religion as much as anyone, but there was only one problem with the whole thing. I did not know Jesus Christ as my Savior. Say, Pastor, how is that possible? We'll look at it here in just a moment, but the truth is, is that I had a head knowledge of Christ, but I did not know, have a heart knowledge of him. I knew about him, but I did not have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I knew what it meant to be saved from Scripture but I had not experienced it. Paul writing to Titus says, listen, you need to be careful. There are some who profess to know God, but in works, they deny him. And this morning, I want to look at the anatomy of a false convert or the anatomy of those and characteristics of those who claim to be a Christian. And this really is a litmus test that you can give yourself to see, is my profession of faith, is it real, is it genuine? And I don't, I'm not trying to confuse you this morning, and I would not want to make anyone doubt their salvation. But rather, I do believe that there are some who have maybe made a profession, but 
like I did as a young person, but do not have never had that encounter with Christ. And I want you to examine yourself to see, are you truly a child of God? The first thing we see here that Paul is dealing with, and he, he, he hints on this and says that they are morally confused. They are morally confused. He says in uh, Proverbs chapter 17, verse number 15, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. Those who justify sin and condemn righteousness is what the Bible's saying. And in verse number 10 here of Titus chapter 1, the Bible says, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision whose mouth must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for sake of dishonest gain. It says they're idle talkers, deceivers. They are teaching things that should not be. They, they ramble on about things that do not matter. And one of the, the, the signs of that you are a false convert is that you love sin. The false converts, they love sin. They, they love the things that are, they justify wickedness. And I believe that is evident in our society, is it not? We have many people who claim to be Christians, yet things of morality, things that hold to truth, our society is trying to say that wrong is right and right is wrong. And the problem is many of these things have infiltrated the church and the church themselves, many are um, going along with this sin. We love sin. Do you love sin? Do you love sin? Do you try to justify your sin? Have you convinced yourself that your sin is okay or does your sin bother you? I'm not saying that the Christian will never sin, but rather as a Christian, sin will bother you because the Holy Spirit, it will grieve the Spirit of God which lives and reigns in your heart. See, before I was a Christian, I, I, I was in Bible college, and I was in church, and I was trying to do right, and boy, I, I was trying to keep the appearance on the outside so that everybody would say, oh, look at Randy, he's a good person, he's doing what he's supposed to do, and I attempted to keep that appearance up, but there was a problem, and the problem was on the inside, I still love my sin. Sin did not bother me. The only thing that bothered me about sin was getting caught and having to pay consequences for it. The offense to God did not bother my spirit or my soul. But when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ came in in my heart, all of a sudden sin began to grieve me. My sin bothered me. Now I did not want to sin. But when I sinned, I felt guilty of my sin, not because I got caught, but because I knew I had displeased my Heavenly Father. Does sin bother you? Does sin grieve your heart? Are you attempting to get by with just as much as you can and still be viewed as a Christian? Young people. Are you trying to get by with everything you possibly can as long as mom and dad don't find out or as long as I can keep everyone happy? See, the problem is they were 
the morally they were confused. They they loved sin and they they condemned the truth according to Proverbs. They they uh, they they condemned the just and righteousness. So not only did they say that sin was right, but they said those things that are right are wrong. They condemned truth, and that is obviously what we're living in society. But I want to make this clear this morning. This is not to be surprised surprising that our society hates truth and righteousness. It's to be expected of the world. But the problem is, is when it infiltrates the mind and the heart of the church or the believer, the child of God. Do you love the word of God? I want to say this morning that I will unashamedly proclaim the word of God. I'm not going to apologize for anything the Bible says. The Bible is truth. I'm not going to condemn it whether the world likes it or not. The Bible is God's word, and if the Bible says it is true, then we must hold fast to it. We must glorify and edify and praise truth rather than condemn it. I will not try to hide from the teachings of God's word, but rather with love, we must proclaim the word of God as it stands. And there is a problem when churches and preachers want to get up and try to hide behind or uh, dissent from the word of God. God's word is true, and we must hold fast to it. And if you're ashamed of God's word, I would be concerned about my salvation because we should love truth. Not only that, but we find here the second thing is not only are they morally confused, praising right and praising wrong, condemning what is right, but we find here they do not obey. They don't obey. It says they are out for dishonest gain and they are lovers of themselves. Verse number 15 says to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. They go against truth and righteousness. They are morally confused, but they do not obey. John chapter 15, verse number 14 says, you are my friend if you do whatever, whatsoever I commanded you. Do you obey God? Not only do we desire to uphold and believe the word of God, but we desire to follow the laws and commandments of God. John chapter 14 and verse number 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Do you love God's word? Do you desire to please God when you are saved, when you are born again, when the Holy Spirit of God abides in your heart? It's not that you mess, don't mess up. It's not that you don't sin or without sin. But there is a genuine desire within your heart to please and to live for God that you would obey him. You desire and seek to obey and follow the laws of God. If you love me, keep my commandments. You cannot tell me you are a child of God, that you love him, if you do not obey the commandments of God. It's a great test. How about it? 
Is the word of God important to you? And I talked about this Wednesday night with our youth who were there in our, in our, uh, on our Wednesday night service about having a biblical worldview. And the truth is the word of God should dictate how we live in this life because we should desire to live according to his word. But our society is a mess, not because this world does not obey God. They never have and never will apart from Jesus Christ. The problem is not out there. The problem is in here. The word of God, we should obey it. It should uh, dictate our worldview and how we act and react in this life should be guided by the laws of God. God, what do you say about this matter? Whether it be in our vote, whether it be in our decisions, whether it be in our morality, we should base everything off of the word of God. The word of God is to be our guide in this life. Do you obey the word of God? The laws of God. Not only should we obey the laws of God, but also the laws of man. In Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinances of God, that they, res- and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. The laws of God, man. We are to obey the laws of God, but also the laws of man. Now, I'm going to clarify that here in just a moment on uh, where we obey God. But as a general rule, if you're a child of God, you should desire to obey the laws of man, the laws of our nation, the laws of our state, our county, our city. We are to obey the law. Uh, You can't sit here and tell me you're a child of God who believes in submitting yourself to God and his word and then try to cheat on your taxes and say that you're doing it as a Christian. That is not of God, but if you are going to cheat on your taxes, if you're going to cheat on building codes or try to cheat and manipulate anything else, you are living contrary. If that does not bother you, there's something wrong in the heart. Because as a Christian, we should be obedient to God's word. We should obey the laws of God, but also the laws of man. But that brings us to a problem, a conundrum. What about when the laws of man contradict the laws of God? We have been blessed to live in a nation where as a whole we have been uh, afforded the rights and the privileges to worship and obey God as we see fit. But I don't know if you've noticed or not, I believe you probably have, but over the last decade or two there has been a shift and a trend where the government is slowly trying to creep into our religious rights and saying you have your religious rights until it contradicts our greater societal view And when that happens, the government is, we're not far from the point where uh, they begin to try to step in and dictate how we believe. So where do we draw the line? Acts chapter 5 verse 29 says, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And I want to say this, we should always desire to obey God and we should desire to obey the laws of men. That is evident or should be evidence of a Christian life and we should always seek to do what is right. 
But there may come a day and a time, and this is on a side note, if you'll bear with me for just a moment. There may come a day and a time where we have to decide between the two. I hope that never comes in my life, but I would dare say that within my life, or at least the life of my children, if God uh, tarries his coming, there will come a day when we have to decide between the two. And if that day arrives for the child of God, for the believer, we must purpose in our heart that we are just going to follow God, whatever the cost. Amen? We're going to follow Jesus Christ and say, God, at the end of the day, I, I'm going to seek to live peaceably with all men as much as within me. I'm going to try to do that. I'm going to try to obey the laws of men. That means local governments, ordinances, councils, whatever it might be. But when and if there is ever a time where the laws of men contradict the laws and the word of God, we're going to stick with God and his holy word. He is our guide. The anatomy of a false convert is they are morally confused. Second of all, they do not obey. They are full of disobedience. But thirdly, there is no fruit. In Titus 1, verse number 16, it says, They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. They're disqualified from every good work. Literally meaning that they have been weighed in the balances and it's found that they're of no use to good works. You want to know if you're a Christian if, or how do you judge? The Bible says... In Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 20, therefore by their fruits, you'll know them. You'll know them by their fruits. A false convert will not bear fruit in their life. You know how I know I'm a Christian? One, sin bothers me. Two, I have a desire to obey God and man to be obedient to submit my own will to others but thirdly that we bear fruit but a con false convert they will not produce fruit they're not going to produce fruit there's no fruit that is brought forth through their life and therefore they're no good for good works because they don't bring any good works. John chapter 15, verse number 16 says, You did not choose me, but I have chosen you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. We should bear fruit. That fruit is our good works, but also that we would produce other Christians. Is there fruit and evidence in your life of the Holy Spirit abiding within? What fruit are you producing of Christianity? I told you earlier that the hardest place to witness, I believe, is right here in the deep south in the Bible Belt, in the buckle of the Bible Belt. 
because everybody has convinced that they're saved. Yet where's the fruit? Where's the evidence of that salvation? Say, preacher, we're not to judge. The Bible says that how we judge is how we'll be judged. And the righteous will judge the earth. The Bible says here we should, by people's fruits, know them. I'm not to condemn people, but your fruit is evidence of itself. Are you producing fruit? When's the last time that you brought someone to Christ? When's the last time you brought someone even to church? When's the last time that you, uh, there was a change in your life, there was fruit in your life that you've had an encounter with God, that you've been with Him, that you've walked with Him, that you've been in prayer and Bible reading? Is there evidence and fruit in your life that Jesus Christ has had a relationship with you? Go through the New Testament, look at Christ's life and examine his earthly ministry. And every time he came into contact with someone, they left different than they came. If he encountered them and they were lame, then when he got done, they were walking. If they were blind, when Jesus Christ encountered them, when he left, they could see. If they were dead and Jesus Christ came and said, Lazarus, come forth, there was a change and he walked with new life through Jesus Christ. When you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, there will be a change. There will be fruit in your life. Is there fruit that you're saved? They don't produce fruit. But also that fruit does not remain. John said to have fruit and your fruit should remain. It's easy to put on a good show for a while. It's easy. You can just about convince anybody of anything as long as you want for a little while. But sooner or later, the truth's going to come out, ain't it? Sooner or later, the truth will reveal. The Bible says the fruit's going to remain. I've seen and witnessed it for years. People come in and say they got saved. God knows their heart. But they get baptized. And a couple weeks later, you never hear or see from them again. The Bible says... They'll produce fruit, but their fruit will remain. This morning, I'm not trying to convince you that you're not saved. That is not my goal whatsoever. But I wonder if maybe there's not someone here this morning present that just like me put on the facade of Christianity for many years. Who on the outside, everybody thinks is okay, you've kept up the appearance on the outward, but inward you know your heart. Are you a child of God? Many times I think many individuals do not know Christ, they're not saved, and they keep from coming to Christ for the same reason I did for many years. Because they were afraid of what everyone thought. 
Everybody thinks I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm, I, I'm a, I'm a, I sing in the choir. I, I, I give. I, I'm involved. Everyone thinks I'm a Christian. What would everybody think if I admitted that I'm not saved? If they're saved, they won't do anything but rejoice. I've been in meetings through the years where deacons have gotten saved, their wives have been saved, where pastors, Baptist pastors, have given their life to Jesus Christ after they're already serving as pastors. Missionaries, missionary wives and children get saved and give their life to Christ and rejoice and thank God for the day that they did it. This morning, don't make a false profession. But if you're here, you've heard about Christ, you, 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 you know all about Him, but there has never been a personal encounter with Christ in your life. Don't put it off. Don't be a false convert. I promise you, there's nothing like having a personal relationship with a righteous, holy God. I can't tell you how many times through the years I had prayed. Dear Lord, if I'm not saved, just in case, would you save me? I don't want to go to hell. There was conviction already in my heart. I just wasn't willing to accept it. I'm not saying if you've ever asked the Lord that, that you're not saved, but you know your heart. You know that you, if you have peace and assurance. And if today you do not have assurance in Jesus Christ, I invite you to, at this moment, would you give your life to Christ and say, Lord, I'm letting go of myself. I'm letting go of my religion. I'm letting go of my own life. And Lord, I turn myself over to you fully and freely and wholly. Lord, take my life. God, I give my heart to you. Lord, I'll trust in Jesus Christ. I place my faith in you. Jesus died on Calvary. He shed his blood for the sins of the world. He has paid the price for you to have salvation and newness of life. And he freely gives it. And all he says is, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Turn from serving your sin and yourself and place your faith in Jesus Christ. The anatomy of a false Christian. I pray that you will not leave today without the assurance that you know where you'll spend eternity because of Jesus Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. This morning I wonder, is there someone here who would say, Pastor, I'll be honest with you. I'm struggling with it. 
Preacher, I want to go to heaven. But I just don't have that assurance. If that's you, I, no one looking around, if you would ever head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, would you slip your hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to have that assurance of my salvation. Is there one? Slip your hand up. Is there one? No one looking around, would you slip your hand up if that's you? This morning, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, would you place your faith in Jesus Christ? Would you pray, dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. God, I deserve hell, but Lord, I believe Jesus died for my sins. And God, I'm denying myself. Lord, I give my life to you. Would you pray and give your life to Christ?